0: A Sweat Elite Podcast listeners, it's Matt here, your host. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're all staying safe amidst the COVID-19 pandemic and are continuing to find ways to train despite the restrictions placed upon seemingly all of us. But of course, most importantly, I hope that you are all staying safe in general. Before I introduce this week's guests, I would like to quickly read an excerpt from an article that we published on the Sweat Elite website just last week All about our experience in Japan earlier this year, studying the elite Japanese running scene. So, excerpt starts. Japan, Nihon, the land of the rising sun, a country globally renowned for many things, a rich cultural history, a cuisine like no other, the world's largest metropolis, Tokyo, and running. Japan is not one of the nations that first comes to mind when most people think about the global running scene. However, in the marathon distance, Japan comes in third place behind Kenya and Ethiopia when looking at the number of athletes in the top 1,000 marathon times in history. Japan has over 100 athletes that have run sub-210 in the marathon. Compare this to the USA, with a population nearing triple that of Japan and massive infrastructure strain their collegiate athletic system, the states have only 20 athletes that have run sub-210, 13 if you exclude record-ineligible record ineligible Boston. Our interest peaked we decided to plunge headfirst into the Japanese running scene and investigate what was going on. To learn all about our experience studying the elite Japanese running scene, please continue reading the article titled The Perplexing Depth of Talent in Japanese Running that's split into two parts. You can find the links at the show notes in this podcast episode. And if your podcast player doesn't have the hyperlinks to the articles, you can find it on the Sweat Elite website under articles and Discipline's Marathon. The author of these articles, Tate Herps, who joined me in Japan, also published an article last week all about lactic acid, debunking some myths about what it is and how it impacts fatigue, body soreness, and recovery, and he explains in the piece what most people think they know about lactic acid is frankly all wrong. You can find the link to that article also in the show notes and on the Sweat Elite website. Okay, on to this week's podcast guest. My colleague Tate had a conversation a few weeks ago with British ultra runner Tom Evans. Tom made an incredible debut on the ultra trail running scene when he placed third in the gruelling Marathon de Sable in 2017. And what makes the story so fascinating is that he initially entered the MDS 2017 off the back of a bet with a former military teammate in a pub that he could improve upon the position that his teammate placed the previous year. Tom stunned the ultra world once again in 2018, when he won the 101 kilometer CCC race at the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. Tom went on to place third at one of the most competitive ultra trail races in the world, the 100 Mile Western States Endurance Run in 2019, and followed it up with a win at the Tarawera 102km race in February 2020 against a very competitive field in New Zealand. Throughout this conversation, Tom shared captivating anecdotes of his journey intra-ultra running and a wealth of information on his training that has taken him to where he is now. Huge thanks to my colleague, Tate Herbs, who conducted this brilliant interview with Tom Evans. Tate also published an article about the conversation that he had with Tom, featuring some of the highlights and some additional information about his training as well. You can find that article in the show notes of this podcast episode and the Sweat Elite website. I hope that you enjoy this podcast episode with British ultra runner Tom Evans.
1: Okay, hey, so welcome to the Sweat Elite podcast. My name's Tate, and today we have our guest Tom Evans. Hey Tom, how how are you? Hey Tate, yeah, really good, thanks. How you doing? Very well, very well. Thank you so much for making some time to come on and have a chat with us today.
2: Uh, not at all. I've been, uh, I've followed the, followed to elite for, for many years and uh, yeah, it's now sort it of feels slightly surreal to, to be on the other side of it. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to, to share some of the, share some of my knowledge, my wisdom that I've built up over my very short running career so far.
1: Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. And we have also been following your journey uh, it's it's fascinating, you know. You burst onto the scene with a few impressive results in the last couple of years, uh, notably the 2018 UTMB Triple C. You won, yeah. in 2018, and then really, uh, you know, became more of a well-known name last year with your third place at the Western States Endurance Race, getting sub 15 and the fastest time by a non american um so i yeah your story here is quite unconventional your entry to running and i'd love for you to tell us a bit about your background
2: yeah so i suppose yeah pretty pretty different um so i uh, i have just turned 28 um when i was at school i yeah I, i was really into i was really into my fitness but not necessarily just my running like Played all sorts of team sports, um, be that like rugby, soccer, cricket, hockey, uh, and then did a little bit of track and field, but it's never, I enjoyed it, but it was never like, it was never the main event. It was, I would do this running in order to be able to be better at, be fitter and to be able to do better at other sports. And yeah, that was that growing up and sort of did a couple of races and sort of would always do well in races and would always surprise people at. Sort of results in races, sort of growing up, sort of under the age of probably under 18. And at that point, left school and joined the British Army. I went to our officer training academy, sort of equivalent of West Point in the US. Um, I did that for a year before joining uh, the Welsh Guards, which is a British infantry regiment. Um, and when I was in the Welsh Guards, sort of still played a little bit of rugby, but more so, sort of just ended up doing a little bit more running. So I wanted to wanted to get fitter and sort of wanted to improve my endurance. Um, and yet, the training in the British Army is it's very non-specific. Um, it's like doing if you sort of compare it to a running training program. It sort of it's the first block in a year or the first block of a build-up. Um, it's so non-specific, just general aerobic capacity building um and some strength training that then just allows you to it's yeah it's the foundation that then allows you to build on it um so yeah i did i was in the army for eight years and in my in 2017 signed up to a race called marathon de saab that's a 250 kilometer multi-stage self-supported race across the sahara desert i had some friends did it the year before in 2016 um if it did really well, finished the top 300. Um, and one night in the pub when they got back after a couple of beers, I imagine, um, I said, right, yeah, you guys did really well, but I reckon I could, I reckon I could do better than you guys did, finish higher up. And they said, no, I bet you can't. I so said, yeah, I but I can. And so maybe, yeah, slightly hungover the next morning, so sort we've of got forced to sign up to this race, not really understanding it uh, fully, and yeah so sort of six months later i was um in Morocco in the Sahara desert and running this running this crazy race that people have described as sort of the toughest foot race on the planet and yeah it's it's brutal um and it was my first i'd no, never done a park run or never done a sort of five anything over sort of fifteen hundred meters race at this point um and ended up uh ended up finishing third um there was the first yeah the first time that it had been sort of a non sub-Saharan African uh male on the podium um and it, yeah at that point I thought oh this is that that was interesting and so it didn't really sort of didn't really train that specifically for it if I had if I had an hour I'd go run for an hour if I had two hours I'd go run for two hours like, there was no no training plan I didn't have a I didn't have a smart watch sort of tracking my mileage I didn't really worry about recovery didn't sort of, just did it sort of almost sort of off the cuff sort of one of your mates is doing something so you just say oh yeah okay cool I'll, I'll join it not really understanding the how tough the challenge is going to be um yeah which is which is pretty pretty strange and now I look back on it now and just actually just think uh, yes I didn't do any specific training but I've just done like pretty much a six six years of foundation base level training um that just set me up so well that actually you've got this you've got an you've got a very good engine you've got an amazing aerobic capacity and you're strong and pretty robust from years of team sports but then also also military training um and you're pretty stubborn you're not you're not going to stop um <laughs> and you're just going to you're going to keep going and then yeah rest 2017 was invited to do some races some races in the mountains some, some slightly flatter and faster races and Found it pretty difficult to say no, so went to these and was told by sort of some people who've been in the sport for a while, oh, I wouldn't do that race, I wouldn't do this race because it's it's too mountainous, it's too steep, it's too technical. You live in the UK where we haven't really got mountains, and for me, as soon as someone tells me that I can't do something, so sort of I just I want to I want to prove them wrong and want to prove other people wrong, and actually, why not? Like why can't I? Running's running, no matter where you're doing it. Yes living in living in london when i was at the time there aren't any mountains you've got to think slightly outside the box to do some of the some of the training and did these mountain races that went that went really well and um didn't win anything but sort of finished in and around the podium on everything and it was only in uh in 2018 when i was selected to race for great britain in the trail running world championships um and on paper probably should have finished somewhere between 15th and 20th and that would have been that would have been a pretty good result and ended up finishing on the podium there finished third um and I think it was at that point for me that I knew that I was able to to compete with the best in the world having only been doing the sport for 12 months and it was yeah at that point you kind of thought oh yes I'm loving my life in the military but is there is there more to life than than just being in the military could I could I pursue this elite sport and trail running not being a recognized sport or it's at the moment it's seen a bit more of as a hobby than it is as as an elite sport um I think for a lot of to. <laughs> yeah precisely I think a lot <laughs> of typically sort of if someone says they five years ago if someone said they did ultra marathons they were probably someone who had sort of done marathons and had been had been pr- sort of a pretty good club standard runner but now sort of wasn't going to get a pb wasn't going to really improve that so they actually they step up in distance but nowadays the talents of these people who just who are skipping out sort of the shorter road stuff including a marathon in that and just going straight to trail because it's that's what they want to that's what they want to do they prefer running in the mountains, that's sort of where they live or that's what they've been brought up with. And, yeah, I think it's – the sport is growing. The sport is growing so quickly. And, yeah, you know, after winning CCC in 2018, for me, that was the moment where I was like, right, I think I can – I think I can give a – have a crack at making this full-time. And it's – where it's sort of similar to sort of Ironman triathlon, the sport is is getting quite commercial and because it is very – um people aspire to be able to be outside be in the mountains health and fitness is such a huge buzzword um at the moment sort of for a fit and active and healthy lifestyle and yeah trail running it's sort of your combining performance running but also with a bit of sort of action and adventure which everyone loves and for me it yeah it's i sort of stumbled into that and yeah i've missed out miss out on anything everything from sort of 5k and above um on the track and on the road and so now I'm almost sort of slowly sort of slightly sort of dipping into things for a little bit just when when training allows and yeah I'm, I'm absolutely loving it so I'm just I'm finding out things about myself and about sort of my yeah where my sort of sweet spot is because still now like I don't know do I do I focus on the marathon for a couple of years and or do I stick with shorter? So I've proven that I can go from a hundred mile race to then qualify for the European champs in cross country. Um, So yeah, it's a, um, yeah, I'm just absolutely loving it. And I I love the sport of running and I love the community and I love the training for it, both training in the mountains where actually splits and pace doesn't matter. It's just all on effort, but then actually being able to get dialed in and sort of doing, a marathon pace tempo on the road where splits and effort is so important. And I think you can, I've learned a lot from training on the roads that I take into the mountains, but even more so the other way around is I've learned so much about pacing and effort and running on feel in the mountains where actually your splits don't really matter. And I think that's hugely, there's a huge advantage in that going into a, going into a cross country race or going into a, into a marathon and sort of the longer more so because nutrition plays such a huge part and. When you're out running for when you're racing for 15 hours, nutrition is obviously a huge part, and it then means that and you need it to be as simple as possible. So actually, when you then then do go and race a marathon or maybe potentially a half marathon for somebody running it sort of 70 minutes plus, then actually there's like there's no need to overcomplicate your nutrition plan. Like Mm -hmm. simple is simple is the best way. And from running in the mountains and that simplicity that I can bring into sort of everyday life when i'm sort of just running on flat trail for recovery or doing a tempo on the road or doing a session like it's i think it's hugely it's really added to my overall running and for me like at the end of the day like running is running like whether you're running with zane robertson and his marathon training group in ethiopia or i'm running running with the ab training group in brighton like running is running people are just trying to be as good as they possibly can and in order for you to have your best day in a race, dependent doesn't matter what the race is, but all you are trying to do is run as fast as you can for that period of time or that distance, um, and that's that's your best day. And there's that that's running. You're just trying to move your legs as quickly as you can for a certain distance, um, and that that yeah, that's what I love about it. And you can just pull back all the complexities, and yeah, it's just. Uh, I've learned so much, then. I also think it, it just translates so much into sort of everyday life. If you took, for me, sort of with Western States, I decided that I wanted to do a 100-mile race and got to the point where I was choosing what do I want to be my first 100-miler, and you could have sort of snuck in and be like, oh, okay, well, I'll just do, do a fairly low-key one in the UK and sort of get to understand the distance a bit, get to understand my body a little bit more, as it was going to be 40 miles further than I'd ever run before um and then actually then thoughts like actually why not like put yourself in the deep end in western states it's the original 100 miler it's got an amazing story and you're going to be running against the best ultra endurance athletes in the world sort of with jim and jared and it's yeah amazing to be able to test yourself in throw yourself into the deep end and put yourself into that challenge and i did the majority of my training before that in ethiopia with a marathon group and it it worked yeah i think it worked it worked pretty well for a first 100 miler and there's no there was no complexity to it it was sort of pulling everything back sort of as basic as you possibly could because yeah there is there is no need to complicate things and nowadays people love over complicating things and making things sort of seem more complicated than they are sort of be it shoes with the latest carbon plate and the softest foam and the most energy return like yeah that stuff does it does make a difference but actually the hard work is still exactly the same as the hard work was a hundred years ago uh mm. if you're not prepared to put the work in and yeah there's some things Some things work. some things don't work with your training and yeah you've got to you've got to put the hard the hard work in you've got to recover properly and no matter no matter what you're doing there uh, a pair of bouncy shoes isn't gonna isn't going to do the training for you um yeah so yeah that's sort of a whistle whistle stop tour of my last sort of eight years um and it's sure. now sort of wow. got me to where i am sat in my run kit on a sofa with three dogs um
1: yeah no there's so much to dig into here and like i said i find your story fascinating one of the main things that jumps out to me is you know going from you know, running casually, but not really having much of a background to going straight into these, uh, you know, most people would say crazy ultra yeah. endurance races and getting straight onto the podium. So I, I'd love to know you. You definitely play down your running beforehand quite a lot, but were you how many you know, k's a week do you think you would be running prior to getting into training for the MDS?
2: Um. I would have probably said somewhere between 50 and, fifty and eighty Ks. Um part of me wished that I had part of me wished that I knew and had written anything down or had a had a Garmin watch or anything, but I yeah. I had I had nothing. I bought I bought a Garmin watch in the airport on the way to Marathon Jasab. Um okay. because I saw oh. everyone else have one and I thought I should probably get one. Um so yeah I don't if I had if I had five hours in the week to run I'd run for five hours or if I had eight hours I'd run for eight hours like okay. there was no there was no structure there was no progression there was no and like I would yeah I would read the uh oh yeah I would read the sweat elite blog and be like ah, oh, this is what an elite athlete's doing like let's try and copy their workouts. Um,
1: and and Tom you you mentioned you had to be smart about the way you're preparing for a race like that living in London (laughs) could you give us some examples of the training techniques you use to prepare
2: yeah so I think for like at the beginning very naive sort of thinking oh if, if this person can do if this person can do this workout then like why can't I do the workout and yeah you learn pretty quickly that these things take years to years to get into especially if you want to do it to be able to put blocks on blocks and I think yeah for, for something like marathon de Sabe, it's pretty it's pretty tough to train but I think for me I, you've just got to break the race down into into different components like if you're if you're training for a marathon let's say you training for London or Berlin the, yes it's in a different time of the year so if you're based in Europe actually it's pretty not difficult to train for London but if you want to get warm and you want to be running in shorts and a singlet, actually you're going to have to probably go on a training camp if, if you've got that luxury. Um, but actually if you're training for Berlin, like the majority of your training is going to be done in the summer. So I think firstly, that's like one thing that I would, I'd think about, but actually marathon training to a certain extent is marathon training. It's a flat road course of a certain distance. And if you're, if you're a two fifteen runner, either one of those races will take you about two fifteen. Um mm-hmm. Or if you're a three hour runner, they'll take you, they'll take you about three hours. You're not suddenly going to go from a three hour runner to a two hour 15 runner and take off a massive proportion of the race. Like, you know what you're training for, you know, you're going to run 26.2 miles and you've been training at three hour pace. So that's the time that you're going to finish it. Whereas you take a, yeah, you take a hundred mile race and you think actually that's, that's almost four marathons back to back. Which is yeah, which is crazy. Like you said, like it's it's bonkers to even contemplate running running Berlin Marathon four times back to back with not stopping. And I think, and to build that up, because a hundred mile race at Western States taking fifteen hours to complete is very different to a hundred mile race on the track that might take the world records eleven, just over eleven hours to do or 100 miles at, in the mountains at UTMB, for example, which is probably going to take about 20 hours to do. So actually training for a certain time doesn't equal distance. Um, and then when in, in a training week, if I if I ran for 20, 20 hours a week in the UK, I'm probably going to be hitting, I'm going to hit sort of 240 to 250 kilometers. But if I did a 20-hour training week in the Alps, that might be, 160 170 kilometers so there's a huge there's a huge difference there and but yeah when i was when i was in london like i would be yeah be pretty meticulous and like one of the things that i did then that i still do now and i've got a gym set up at home with a treadmill um with an altitude set up and i'm sort of building up a almost like a book it's in a folder with these laminated bits of paper where i've drawn out the climbs for all of these races that I've either raced or I'm preparing to race and have worked out in order to sort of get the equivalent of like the Strava segment or the course record of a certain climb have worked out of how to program that in onto the treadmill. So if I know that I need to do the first part of the climb is 8% and in or and I need to run it at 10 kilometers an hour for 45 minutes, I've just got I've got that all set out in diagram and then in writing um, so you can train specifically for it because yeah you may not be you may not be best you may not be able to go on a training camp you may not be able to go and do a course recce but actually running is all about muscle memory and if you can get your body used to climbing for a certain amount of period or a certain amount of time like when you get into a race it's nothing you should be scared of and if you can do it in training when you've got tired legs and actually come race day after a bit of a taper and you're feeling fresh like actually doing it doing it on race day should be easy and you can probably push the pace a little bit more um mm. and yeah you look a bit you look like a bit of a nerd probably going into a <laughs> before I had a treadmill going into a gym with like a big folder with lots of like graphs and diagrams and spreadsheets but actually like it works and I think that's the for me that's the thing that sort of makes me slightly different to a lot of the conventional trail runners that actually I am pretty technical with my training it's not just about going into the mountains and enjoying myself like yes in an ideal world that's where I would do a lot of my training but actually there's so much that you can do that's not yeah that's not in not in the mountains like actually actually being able to do doing a mile rep session or a kilometer rep session and achieving that leg turnover being able to do eight by one k in two forty fives on the road being able to do that, that, that then allows you to run fast downhill. You've got that stability, you've got that core strength, you've got that speed of leg turnover. Actually, it, it translates mm. it translates really well. um
1: Okay, interesting.
2: And obviously, you you can't you can't jump straight into that. But actually, do you, training for downhill is so. When you run running uphill is brilliant because like aerobically it's really tough, but actually on your muscles and on your body, like the recovery time isn't going to take that long because there's not that much force going on your body. When you're running downhill, your weight is multiplied by three every time you plant your leg. So if you're doing a let's say you downhill run as hard as you can for 15 minutes, you're probably gonna take you're probably gonna have to take a day, if not two days, off from running. And actually what if what effect have you achieved? You could have done that. You could have achieved the same leg turnover for quarter of the muscle damage by doing a different type of training but actually you've still achieved everything and probably a bit more um yeah and it's yeah it's just it's just thinking something outside the box and trying to replicate trying to replicate the races and taking bits of races and understanding where my strengths my weaknesses are and yes i obviously want to improve on on my weaknesses but actually i want to further improve on my strengths i want to reinforce the strength that i've already got um because that's Mm. what I think that's what makes me makes me fairly unique. I know that if i get to if i'm neck and neck with someone for ten k left to go in a trail race I'd, I'd pretty comfortably put my i'd i'd like to think that I'd put my money on myself um because i don't think i don't think there are many other trail runners yes there are some in the u s but i don't think there are any many european trail runners who can sort of jump into 10K running on the road and probably run sub-29 and be able to run sort of 30 minutes on a pretty muddy cross-country course. Um, And yeah, I think it's that sort of stuff gives gives me a lot of confidence in the closing parts of the race because actually you don't know what happens in these trail races. It's not like you're running on the road or you're running on the track where you can see who's ahead of you. There are races where Hmm. you don't know where anyone is. You don't know if there's someone hundred meters behind you, hundred meters in front of you, like you've got to go till the end. And then I think, yeah, being able to have that, when you get that glimpse of someone ahead and being able to push yourself to your limits when you need to, then I think, yeah, I think it's, it's really beneficial and definitely things you can learn from running on the track and on the road, bring into trail running, but then also the other way around. Like, I don't think, I don't think you've got to pigeon, pigeonhole yourself to be one type of runner to say like, oh yeah, I'm a marathoner or, or I'm a road runner or I'm a track runner or I'm a trail runner. Like I, I run for the I run for the love of running, and if that means that I'm running a park run on a Saturday morning, or it means that I'm running a hundred mile trail race, or I'm running a track 10k, like it's running's running, and just got to yeah, you've got to move your legs as quickly as you can for that distance.
1: Yeah, um, and that versatility that you're talking about is something I definitely want to get into yeah. later. Um, I find it fascinating that you said you know one of the main ways you prepared yourself for the downhills is just fast leg turnover on flat because you know races like UTMB are just renowned for their really steep technical descents that the local guys in the Alps can just fly down and so it is that is that the main way that you prepared yourself for these downhills
2: yeah so a bit of in that yes like I'm fortunate enough that I'm a full-time athlete and I can go I can go on training camps and I can do that specific training but for the sort of for the first part of a training block yeah it's all about sort of shifting lt1 and lt2 um and sort of getting as getting as fit as i can and allowing my body to be able to absorb the training um yeah and as well as doing sort of the faster reps like there's other things that you can do to replicate it without causing like massive stress on your body so if you have identified that actually running downhill that your quads are getting sore, your knees are getting sore. Like there's stuff that you can do in the gym. And my running is hugely supplemented with strength and conditioning work. And that's not just lifting weights. It's not just doing body weight stuff. It's sort of doing, it's combining everything. So whether it's doing some balance training or it's doing some, some static holds. So doing a uh, like a decline lunge, so you've got one foot on the bench, one foot on the floor, and you're just going into a hold. So you are replicating the most forward position that your leg is going to go when you're running downhill. If you can hold that for a couple of minutes, then there's no way that you can't sort of run downhill as quickly as possible. Um, and yeah, and I think all of these things combine sort of to make you, to make me sort of the best athlete that I possibly can be. Uh, yeah.
1: Awesome. Um are there any particular outcomes that you really focus on with your strength training?
2: Um for me it, it's it's all about being like the most all-rounded, the most all-rounded and the most versatile athlete that I can be because these races are, yes, it may be a trail race or maybe a mountain race, but they are still going to be runnable sections and I think suddenly for suddenly training for Training for a trail race or training for a mountain race, I do, um, I concentrate a lot more on like stability and balance where, and actually like there'll be points where that like, you have to, you have to look down at your feet and you're, yes, an ideal world you'd be looking up and in a road marathon, you can look up pretty much for the whole race. You don't need to look down because it's unlikely that you, you might step on a water bottle, but There aren't going to be many, many things out there that are going to want to want to trip you up. And if you go into trail racing, it might be dark uh, and you've got a headlamp on or it's technical and it's rocky or it's rooty. And there are lots of things to trip up on. And actually looking down completely changes your dynamics in running. But actually, if you've got a really strong core and your body's able to tolerate sort of your head being in a different position and doing that doesn't sort of turn off certain muscle groups and just keeps everything firing, then i think that's really important um and there are other things that you can do like all oh, in the gym you're not people say like oh yeah you must be doing like like what's your rep range you must be doing loads of reps i'm like well no not really if you were if you ran 10 miles let's say you took and in a roll, you're 16k and you ran let's say you took 15,000 steps so that's seven and a half thousand steps on each leg in order to try and replicate that in the gym. You, people would suggest that you would have to do seven and a half thousand calf raises, um, and seven and a half thousand squats. And you're like, no, that's just bonkers. Like the reason that I go to the gym and a lot of the rep ranges that I do are are very low because all I'm trying to do is make my body more efficient at recruiting the maximum um, amount of muscle fibers, when i need it so if i'm training for training for a race like utmb i might use an exercise like a box step up a heavy box step up because there'll be points in the race that you have got sort of a bit of a ledge that you need to step up on and if you broke that movement down on the mountains you could almost superimpose it to someone doing a box step up in the gym um and it's just it's just thinking it's just thinking cleverly with it and when i decided that i wanted to be a full-time Full-time athlete. I've sort of looked at a typical sort of trail runner setup, and it didn't for me. Yes, there are some exceptions, but it didn't look that. It didn't look that professional. There was so much more work going into marathon running. If you take if you take an elite marathoner, um, for example, they might they'll race two, maybe three marathons a year, and you'd see in trail running that there are people who are racing like eight or nine hundred k races a year and still performing not performing badly but could be performing much better and for me it was like why is there such a huge disparity like why are trail runners not spending time doing strength and conditioning like you would see with a marathoner why are the people not speaking to psychologists like you would like a top level uh marathoner would why are they not having regular physio regular soft tissue work doing different sorts of cross training um like a professional marathon would and I'm incredibly fortunate my my partner Sophie Coldwell is a professional triathlete and I sort of had for a little little bit of time I sort of seen had a bit of an insight into what it was like sort of being a being a full-time athlete where everything's given to you by the national governing body and seeing of all the opportunities that that they have and for me I was like well why is why am I not doing absolutely everything that I can do to get the best performance and especially in a sport like trail running where on the start line not necessarily the best runner is going to win because there are so many external and uncontrollable factors be it the weather be it nutrition be it uh your kit falling apart or whatever actually it's not necessarily the best athlete but it's the best prepared athlete. and for me i'll just prepare as well as i possibly can for any particular race be that the European cross country championships or Western States, 100 miler um, and use all the tools in the toolbox that, that you possibly can, because yeah, I want to leave, I want to leave no stone unturned sort of in my, in my quest, in my journey to, to try and become the best, the best athlete I can be. And I think if, if you're able to do that, if you're able to put, to put block training block on training block year on year, And yeah, there'll be days that days that you miss training because of niggles and things like that's just, that's just part of life. But actually, can you, how can you be proactive about that rather than, rather than reactive about it? And I think that the way the sport is going, that we will see more and more sort of well known top athletes starting to compete in trail races and in ultra marathons, because firstly, the money's there. And secondly, because it's not impossible to transfer if you're a if you're a two nowadays if you're a 2.11 marathoner like or 2.12 marathoner like that's great but if you're a 2.12 you're probably not going to the olympics um and yes you might win sort of most of the races that you go to sort of local races that you go to but you're not winning anything major and you're probably not going to get a big sponsorship deal and things may not be may not be that easy but actually if you're able to transfer that onto the trails then you can become incredibly appealing for lots of brands and you can then sort of go and build sort of a big social following because it's easy to get good content for trail runners because most of the time you're you're running in amazing places you're not just running on the road and i think nowadays being a professional athlete except for a a few athletes being an athlete is is more than just being able to run fast like there's there is so much more to so much more to being a full-time athlete than just training. It's like everything that comes with it. And I think a sport like show running allows you to allows you to show your personality a bit and gives you the, yeah it gives you the options to, to be able to sort of, Oh, look at my private life. This is, this is what I do. And I think for me, like training, training, differently doing my, my training looks like oh, it, it's marathon. We call it marathon plus training. It's similar structure, similar format to, yeah, marathon training. Um, and we just add sort of a little bit more, a little bit more volume, and then we get a little bit more specific for certain races. Um, but yeah, it allows you to, it allows you to be able to qualify for Eurocross and set course records in 100k races.
1: Yeah, nice. Um, I, I definitely agree with you that we're going to see a lot more professionalization in the sport and your military precision in preparation and the way you've thought through everything you're doing really seems to be serving you quite well. Um, speaking of sponsors, so I understand you're now supported by Red Bull Adidas, yeah. and Garmin. I'm um, yeah. missing any, no, that,
2: no, that's everyone.
1: Okay. And so when did you pick, when did this, well, you pick up these sponsors, or these sponsors pick up you. I don't know which you would say. And how has their support changed things for you?
2: Yeah, so I um, start with Red Bull first. Red Bull, my first, my first global partner. Um, Red Bull is an amazing, an amazing brand to to work with. Um, frustrating at points, as it, it's frustrating at one point. It's when you are when you decided when you've had your initial sort of meeting with Red Bull and they found out a little bit about you. Red Bull take a very long time to choose the athletes that they want to, They want to work with, they want to partner with, which for an athlete, for a young athlete at the time, you're like, oh, come on, just, just sign me. Like, you're such a, an amazing, awesome brand. Like, I just want to cross over the line and yeah, give me my cap. We're all good now. But you learn now, like, I'm so thankful that it took that it took a long time because you make it makes it so much more valuable they make sure that they get the right athletes who are going to be good for the brand and that the brand are going to be good for them and yeah Red Bull are incredible the the whole setup basically I go with them with an idea and they will just facilitate the idea and they'll make it happen and yeah they're not gonna they're not just gonna give you stuff for nothing you've got to you've got to be able to put the hard work in but we've got a yeah a big project big project with Red Bull for next year um I sort of come with the idea and yeah they've sort of been like right that's an awesome idea let's let's throw absolutely everything we've got in it um and let's sort of let's make let's turn your dream into reality yeah, um, awesome I'm
1: looking forward I think, to seeing that
2: <laughs> yeah it'll be really it'll be it will be really I can't talk too much I can't talk about the details but it will be incredible sort of summer next year um and I get get sort of medical support from them in the UK um with an amazing physio practice was only about uh it's about an hour's drive from from where i now live so absolutely perfect and yeah just so so lucky to to be able to have that have that global brand sort of with you and i actually i signed with red bull uh the night before i won ccc at utmb so it wasn't a oh cool you've just won sort of probably the the most prestigious 100k race in the world we now want to sign with you it was a Right, well yes you've had some good results, but we like we love where you're going. We're gonna we're gonna trust you, we're gonna put we're gonna put our trust in you and see what happens. And yeah, that was that was that was, that was amazing and yeah, been I'm absolutely loving my journey with Red Bull and a lot of people say, like, Oh, like surely you don't surely you don't drink it. Um and like no, I I, I swear by it. It's for me. I drank it before I was sponsored by them. And I, if I wasn't sponsored by them, I would still drink it. Uh, yes, I wouldn't recommend waking up in the morning, being a little bit tired and smashing a couple of cans, but yeah. actually when, when your training volume is 25 to 30 hours a week, and on some days I'm doing sort of up to eight hours of cardiovascular training, you need to pick me up, you need sugar, you need caffeine. Um, and then also if you take The sort of best example that I use if you take the majority of trail races that are a looped course, and so they're going to start and finish in the same place that's normally a town, you typically don't find these towns at the very top of a mountain because you're not going to make a settlement up there. So they're going to be at the bottom of the mountain. So it is likely that each race is going to finish with a descent, and it's probably going to be a 30 to 30 minutes to an hour long descent when you are most tired during your race so actually you want you need to be at the peak of your concentration you need to be able to be thinking to be alert so you put your foot in the right place because you don't win these races until you cross over the line in first place and for me that would be the that's the major time and sort of the most useful that i find red bull when i'm racing is is actually that concentration like yes the sugar is useful um, but you'd also I'd also get that from from a gel or anything else but actually the caffeine content and the the amount of caffeine in a can of Red Bull for me like is absolutely perfect and there are I don't think I would have won CCC in 2018 if I wasn't drinking Red Bull um I don't think I would have gone sub 15 at Western States if I wasn't drinking it and yes you could say oh but what if you did something else it's like yeah they could be that, but actually that's not what I'm doing. This is what I've this is what I've chosen to do. So yeah, yeah
1: sure.
2: for me it's it is an ama- it is an amazing product. Um and then I then signed with signed with Adidas in uh January 2019. Um and yeah, they're sort of my sort of first I was with Hoke before that, sort of on a very relaxed contract. Um but yeah, this is sort of the first sort of real Sports brand um, get interested and in, yeah they've been been incredible they're growing they're growing so much in the trail running space and they've obviously got the the Adidas mothership um to sort of flex her muscles when yeah. when need be um well, yeah which is amazing so if you need I obviously do a lot of road running stuff and so it's like okay cool well there's here's all the trail stuff and all the outdoor stuff but also like here's all the road stuff um which just means you've just got so much selection there's going to be shoes that will work for you shoes that won't work for you um and that's like a for me that's a key thing for people like oh what shoes would you recommend for this it's like well this is what i wear and they may or may not work for you like i've got quite thin feet so for me like the adios line whether it's sort of the adios from takumi sen sort of up to i don't do them anymore but the tempo nines including the adios uh and the boston like for me that's just the perfect fitting shoe uh for depending on what i'm doing but for some other people it may not work and I think for me with having Adidas and Adidas Terex sort of supporting me it's finding an option and not just finding an option that will work but it's it is finding the best option and if there isn't the perfect option available then they'll do absolutely everything they can do to make the perfect option so we are sort of almost a year now into into making um a sort of high performance racing trail shoe um which i wore i wore in tawera um it's been worn for one race and it's won one race and set one course record and yeah that's about to say, it's,
1: it's performed pretty well i guess yeah it's well, super exciting
2: you perform well and to be able to shoe. to be sort of at the beginning of my my running career and to have a an enormous brand like i kind of, that's sort of who are um yeah am um, it's not me sort of saying, oh I want the shoe to be this, be that, it's me saying this is how I want it to feel and working yeah, working in sync with them to make the best shoe, not just the best shoe for me, but to be able to put it into retail because that's yeah, the more shoes that sells of the bigger the sports gonna grow and the better Adidas are gonna do. And yeah, they've really committed to really committed to making the best Trail apparel and footwear that they possibly can. And one one thing that I also love about them is, it's not just about making the best kits. Kit, they've sort of really got onto the how can we make this sustainable. Um, and especially yeah, with now sort of nowadays with professional athletes, great you get two or three huge kit drops every year. And like yes, you give a lot of kit away, but there's still going to be a lot of waste and actually now with adidas like i will only race in kits that is made from recycled plastics and that's something that i've said for i did for last year and also doing this year that the performance is there the quality is there but actually what can what can i do to sort of to try and help the planet sort of do my little bit and adidas is so onside that um in sort of in a global way um which i think is incredible and lots of brands are now sort of Getting on the train, but Adidas really are driving that, which I think, which yeah, I think is incredible. Excellent. Kind of, kind of like how Nike are driving marathon running shoes at the moment. Now everyone else is mm. thinking, oh God, here we go, we've got to try yeah. and produce something. And it's yeah, it's it may be as good, it may not be as good. Um, but yeah, I think Adidas is sort of kind of in the same place, driving sustainability, maybe slightly over performance for the last year or so. But actually, what's what's more important, like running a PB in a marathon or doing your part to save the planet, like,
1: I'm sure, yeah all about I'm, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that I'm
2: <laughs> sure precisely actually and now you look at it now like with coronavirus and you're like oh well this race may be cancelled but actually is that the end of the world that you don't get to run one race no it's not because you'll be able to do it again next year um yeah and I think it's all about perspective and then yeah I've been with then I signed with Garmin just before Christmas um I sort of tested everything tried all watches um and yeah just never really found anything that anything that was sort of that had absolutely everything that I could possibly want and I imagine I only use five percent of what the watch is capable of doing um and I imagine that's the same for
1: 99 who... that.
2: <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah I, I think it's it's really useful and don't don't get me wrong like there are still runs that I'll go out with like I did a did a session yesterday and forgot to bring my watch with me um so I just did it all on feel and and I, I think that's what some people get really tied up with with training with smart technology, so they'll just stop listening to their body and only focus on the data that's coming up on their screen. But actually, the data is just there for reference; it's there for a guide, and may not always be one hundred percent accurate. And actually, at the end of the day, like you you know your body better than your watch knows your body. And if if your watch is telling you that you need four days to recover, like minded after yesterday's session, um, then and actually no it's not you can still train this morning
0: yeah uh, of course don't get, don't so, get me
2: wrong i'd lo- don't get me wrong i'd love to take 4 days off but uh <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how well uh, that would go down
1: so so tom i i want to get into ethiopia i and on the topic of garmin i understood that you were told by your watch at one point that you needed to have a, a roughly 2 weeks worth of rest yeah um what circumstances led to that
2: um yes that was a pretty extreme one i so i yeah i was in ethiopia training for western states which i'd planned on taking sort of between sort of 15 and 17 hours so it was my final long run uh when i was out there and yes it's incredibly high up so i wasn't going to run as far and not as fast but i ended up doing i did an eight hour run i did just over 100k so 60 wow. miles yeah. um in Ethiopia and speaking to some of the locals they were like this is the furthest we think anyone has ever run in one go <laughs> out here um
1: yeah and... we actually just missed you in Solota. yeah we, I think we were there a couple of weeks before you were oh
2: yeah and it was so yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty savage um with a lot of climbing a lot of it was on mountain toto so it was it was all high like a lot of it was over no one really knows how high mountain toto is yeah. um Sometimes sometimes the watch said it was sort of three thousand metres, other times it said like three thousand two hundred metres. Like there's no no one really knows. Um did a lot of it up there and did the first couple of hours with Zane, which was great. Um but yeah, I just found Ethiopia like it was such every day was like being in an ultramarathon, like you've just got you had no idea what was gonna happen. You had to be so reactive. Like it, for me it just put it put my training program into perspective like coming from the military like i like knowing exactly what i'm doing where i'm going to be what i'm going to do but out there it was like training just had to be so flexible like some days you'd feel great other days you'd feel not so great and you had to make the most of you had to make the best of a situation where where you felt good or you didn't feel good um and whether that meant swapping a run for some cross training because yeah, you, you've got to listen to your body, and yeah, when my watch said that I needed like what was it like twelve and a half days recovery. Um, sadly, that's that's I say sadly, like that's just not going to happen. And um, that's yeah, that's like a prime example, like a slightly extreme example where yeah, you've just got to you've got to listen to your body rather than your watch. Like yeah, I took I think I took two days off after two days of no running after after that hundred k effort. Um, and but then you you're pretty good, but had you sort of tried to crack on through it and be like, Oh no, my training programme says I must do this, must do that, like that's when you're gonna end up sort of burying yourself and and not being able to get yourself out of it. Um and yeah, I'm here for like I don't think you can get the finished product in, in a couple of years. Like I I don't think I'll hit my hit my peak for another for at least another couple of years. And in order to get there, like you've got to be consistent. And that was another thing that I really learned in Ethiopia was People who training with the local runners like who don't have who don't have these setups they haven't got the ability to spend lots of money on some of the newest technology or the newest gadget training gadgets or complex and these recovery tools but so they've just got to listen to their body and they peel back all the complexities and it is it is just so simple um and for them yeah it may it might mean a little bit more because it's not just running for a job it's it's running for their livelihood it's running to to make things better for them and for their families. And for me, that was, that was really rewarding. And it was so inspirational to see these guys sort of just training crazy, crazy hard. And at points too hard and not listening to their body because actually a little bit of fame over a year or two is better than no fame at all, which yeah, which is the risk. And yeah, it was, I learned, I learned so much out there. It was amazing to be able to train with Zane and and his group. And yeah, it was just yeah, it was just an amazing, an amazing experience and a very cool place to run. Um, quite lonely at points. And like you said, your Wi-Fi at the moment is not great, but out there, the Wi-Fi really isn't great. Um, and you get, I got, I got so used to, to speaking to my girlfriend every day and being able to watch Netflix and sort of chill out when I wanted to. And so sort of all of that just goes out the window. and So you've got to get, you get pretty good at um getting used to your own company and yeah and if you'd when it's raining there's going to be power cuts and if you're trying to do a treadmill run and there's a power cut it's not going to work um so yeah you've just got to be you've got to be really flexible and i think i learned so much out there about training and peeling everything back just to make it make it simple and not overcomplicating things because actually running doesn't have to be overcomplicated.
1: Mm, sure any other key takeaways from your time there
2: um No, I I, I think that's that's probably covered everything.
1: Okay, cool. Are there any sessions that stand out when you think back to your time there? I know you spent quite a lot of time training with Zane and some other, the top guys.
2: Yeah, so um, the sort of marathon pace, probably like the three sessions that that really stick out is uh, two of them are like the marathon pace sessions. So the first week that I was there, we did we went to oh I can't remember I don't think it was Akaki it was the other one the one on the road um yeah did a did a road session at just over 2000 meters in and started out at like 305s 306s and they were doing 20k I hung on for like 9k and then blew up massively and just jogged the rest of the way in um I'd been in country I'd gone from sea level and I'd been in country for like five days. It was Ooh, obviously wow. gonna happen. It was obviously gonna happen. And to be honest, I was I was pretty impressed at being able to to hang in for that long anyway. Um and then we yeah, did went to Khaki and sort of did a couple of, sort of the slightly slower marathon effort sessions where they'll go up to like uh up to like thirty two K. Um the first one I did I think I got to like twenty twenty K and then dropped and in my last week, yeah, did ended up doing the whole session. Um and yeah there were just there were two of us two of us left at the end and for me that was like right i'm in i'm in really good shape now um mm-hmm. we we started with a group of 12 13 athletes and yeah you're the last you're the last two going getting to the end of the workout on pace right heart rate like bang on like perfect sessions um and then did a lot of um a lot of running on the outside of the track um so for me like classic classic 10k sessions like four by eight minutes at 10k pace um it was sort of going round in it was difficult to get i just couldn't get the leg turnover up there like we're going sort of doing those in 30 minute 10k pace so three minutes flat per k um four by eight minutes on dirt which yeah mm. and sort of that that felt good like it was tough and but felt like it was manageable. Um, and but and just for, me,
1: for, for listeners, that's at 2,700 meters altitude. Yeah, it's pretty high. It's pretty miserable. <laughs> um, and then yeah, and then
2: like another one. There's there's a great road going up to going up to Mount Um and you can get good, really long, really long hill reps. Um, this is probably one of the favorite sessions I did was six by five minute hill reps, just with a really chilled really till jog back down um and yeah it was yes yeah, so i don't i'm not entirely sure what the pace was but heart rate was stupidly high and seriously yeah. hard work um but yeah six by six by five minutes that was the first time we'd done that workout um at altitude and yeah it was yeah pretty pretty savage workout
1: yeah it sounds like a baptism of fire but yeah uh, you definitely made a lot of progress there. So this yeah, was definitely. in your lead up to Western States. Yeah. And on the day you managed to finish, what, 16 seconds under the 15 hour mark? Is that yeah. correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So could could you tell us a bit about your experience of that whole day and any memories that really stick out?
2: Um, I think for me, like the word of the day was patience like i didn't know what was going to happen i knew it was going to be hot i'd never run that far before um and it was just about staying really patient and just not pushing not pushing too hard like you've got to be really sensible in these races and i ended up breaking the race for me like trying to tackle 100 miles in one go was psychologically and mentally was going to be really tough so what i did is i i broke the race down into into quarters um so it was just yeah 25k at a time i'm just going to do so i ended up splitting the race down it's like the session itself is four by 25k like don't let it don't let it phase you um and i think sort of for me that just made it made it so manageable and you know the first 25k are sort of a bit snowy sort of the more technical stuff um a little bit slower and actually i think that really suited me because you couldn't you couldn't panic you couldn't work too hard and you could just sort of stay stay nice and relaxed, and probably at the end of the first 25k, I was probably in sixth, seventh position, which was where roughly I thought that thought that I would be. Um, and as well as that's probably where I should have finished. Looking at some of the caliber, of some of the athletes in the race, that's probably where I should have finished overall. Um, and yeah, sort of went from there, and just sort of slowly just started to started to push a little bit my. My nutrition and my hydration was was really good, so I had worked with a worked with a really good nutritionist in the u k before going out and had so got everything everything dialed down and When I was in Ethiopia, I think that was just a great place to to replicate the conditions like it was hot, it was hard running um, so it was just yeah pretty easy to to practice using it was gels or sports drink or or real food at, at certain points of the race and
1: could, could you, with, you tell us a bit bit more specific stuff about your nutrition like whether was there a particular strategy or any specific numbers you were aiming for in terms of calories or carbs per hour
2: yeah yeah so so for me what i do is i'm uh 80 80 grams of in a hundred mile race if so western states has 80 grams of carbohydrate per hour every hour um and sort of what that looked like for me like i don't have red bull my energy partner but i don't have a nutrition partner um for specific reasons like what if if you can't like i think for me like I, the morton gels are amazing but you ca- i can't use morton for more than six hours straight um because it's for me i find it too sweet um and so being able to have that have that options to have to have different drinks to try other things and to have like slightly slightly sour or slightly more tart um was really yeah it was really useful and yeah it's my calorie consumption yeah i am a slightly bigger guy but actually my body is i don't think you can properly train your body to be fat adapted but i don't need to consume that many calories that many carbohydrates um in order to in order to perform well in races like i don't I do, even in even in western states i didn't have any protein uh didn't have any fat for me it was purely for fifteen hours having carbohydrate alone alone was enough so yeah eighty grams uh, of eighty uh, grams any of solid carbs, foods I, uh, I didn't have any solid food at western states um, sure. a lot of people a lot of people did who were sort of finishing a little bit slower, but the two people in front, both jad and jim also didn't have any any solid food um, the majority of my Uh, my carbohydrate intake at western states was through liquid um just because it was it was so hot actually you want to get you want to get bang for your buck you don't want to be too heavy you want to reduce the risk of having any stomach issues and and actually if you're putting lots of water in and gels or solids or anything on top of that then you're just increasing the risk of of having some gastro problems and so for me yeah i'd used Three or four different types of sports drink um, in water bottles um for the whole race that yeah, for me it, it worked really well, and we so would top up with gels uh if and when I needed to um but I think with with nutrition like it's great having a great having a plan a but you've also got to have a plan b because something will happen, your body won't be able to you'll decide that you don't like the taste of your favorite gel or you you drop a couple of gels and you don't realize it and you've then got to use ones in the aid stations. And yeah, I just think you've got to be, you've got to be really flexible. Like I've described ultra running is problem solving. It's just problem solving on your feet. Um, and I think that's kind of the same, the same with the nutrition plan. Like it's just got to be, got to be really simple. You've got to understand roughly what, for me, what 80 grams of carbohydrate looks like. Um, that's 500 milliliters of Morton or it's three gels. Um, Or it's two cans of Red Bull. Like it's for me, like I now understand I now understand what it looks like. Um but it's definitely learning learning what it looks like and yeah, understanding what your body can tolerate working at a certain intensity for a certain period of time. And for every race I think it's really different. And my nutrition strategy for a marathon would be would be different. Um probably not Hugely different but pretty different. But then also my nutrition strategy for a hundred mile race that was gonna take twenty hours, um, where there was quite a lot of hiking would be different because there like, I probably would eat real food if you had some long climbs um because you'd end up just being your stomach would shrink so much you just be so hungry the whole time, which is which is pretty miserable if you're out there for twenty hours.
1: Yeah yeah um so you you describe it as problem solving on your feet were there any particular problems that came up in the western states
2: um i I think with that i just i prepared i prepared so thoroughly for the race um and no matter what you do there will still be those problems will still come about so like in the first section i knew it was still snowy and I was slightly worried about about shoes um because yeah, it was snowy, you're running through like cut forests, so you might sort of get like twigs and like little bits of sticks in your shoes and in your socks and things. So I decided before, like right, I want to have the option to to be able to change my shoes um at like 40k into the race. Um which what I did and yeah, we lost like two minutes by doing that, but actually the was the risk worth and reward like yeah i think it was um another bit of problem solving yeah like um yeah just i think nutrition nutrition is the big one and you get to a checkpoint or you're 10 minutes slower getting from one point to the other and it's just not panicking and it's just being like right this is all fine like it's it's all about the process like you just got to get there don't worry about it um i think what what makes what makes in states um so great. And what makes these these races brilliant is from the halfway point I picked up I picked up a pacer. Um and it's not but obviously people see pacer like, oh like so what pace is he running for you? And it's not so much that. Like for me and for the majority of people, it's more like just having having a companion, having a mate on the trails with you, going out for a run, like you can chat, you can chat, you can talk with each other and it's just a bit of companionship. Like you've been running on your own for probably the best part of eight hours. I'd be running my well last bit of eight hours. There'd be people who would have picked up a pace and been running for 15, 20 hours at this point. Um, mm. And yeah, and I think problem something like, it just gives you a little bit more, like with the pace, with the actual, like how hard you're working, it just gives you a little, just makes it a little bit more relative and you can, you can see it a bit more. And when you're in third place and your goal was, your dream would be to be on the podium, like right? you end up running, probably end up running a little bit scared that, there are people behind you and you think that you've gone gone on a certain area really slowly and how they haven't, how haven't they caught you and they must be really close now. And I think, yeah, just having the problem solving bit of that is just like, right, well, they haven't caught you. So don't worry about like, if they do catch you, they catch you. It's only a race at the end of the day. All you can do is, is give your absolute best. Um, And if your best is good enough to, To put you on the podium then then great. And if it's not, then next time it comes around, like that's just another problem for you to solve. Um and yeah, so yeah, I think it's just it's just constant and you'll plan for everything. And for me, I definitely like to think that I run through every eventuality that I can possibly think of, but then something else, something weird and wonderful will happen. You'll get a a hole in your water bottle or your shoelace will snap and you can't carry a spare of everything um and yeah it's just thinking like right if that happens and you probably wouldn't i wouldn't have thought about that in the race and it, it's never happened to me yet but i'm sure it has happened to people before and yeah you just cross that bridge when you get to it um and it will and as long as you can learn it learn from it from other races and i think for me being able to race in so many different environments from yes i only race two or three ultra marathons a year but being able to learn from 10k road races to cross country races to track races i think you learn you can learn so much from those races not just during the race but also before the race your preparation what are you going to eat before like what your stretching routine or your warm-ups going to be before um and that's yeah that's just sort of thinking about every eventuality and you get the option you get if you're racing a little bit more you get the chance to practice that and in ultra running if you're not racing then you can't practice it you may only in your career you may only race 20 races and actually you've got to make all of those count so if you've done if you've done the right preparation and you've been able to practice pre-race nutrition in in other races then yeah that's only going to be only going to be beneficial for you
1: Mm, sure well yeah your your preparation clearly served you well when you managed to podium in the marquee 100-mile race in your 100-mile debut. And so moving on from that, last month you ran the Tarawera Ultramarathon in New Zealand and set a course record, 102 kilometres in slightly over eight hours. And that's amazing. But what really surprises me is that just this past weekend, you then went on to podium at the UK Cross Country Championships over a ten-kilometer distance. So, could yeah. you tell us about some of the work that you're doing that allows you to run it? You know, in so many versatile events and have such a variety of speed. Yeah. So, like the
2: training is for me. Like the training is not like it's it's not rocket science. It's it's combining. It is it is marathon training. Um, and so yeah. So for for Tarawera. Going into the build up of Tauera, uh we were averaging sort of somewhere between a hundred and hundred and eighteen or maybe a little bit more like one hundred and ninety to two hundred and ten kilometers a week um and that would be really split between sort of doing some faster long rep stuff so be it like six by a mile or eight by a k or four by eight minutes um with some with some sort of specific terrain. Uh, long run sessions. So, like, I could drive up, drive up to the Peak District, or go to like a, a national park where I can replicate the Taiwera course as best as possible, knowing that it's a very runnable course. Um, and have different work harder in different sections. So you almost do like a, a Kenyan style tempo run that you're, but make it making it much longer. Where I sort of doing instead of doing like a fartlek of five minutes on, two minutes off, so if I was doing twenty minutes on. Ten minutes off or something something similar to that, or sort of working harder on the climbs or working a bit harder on the downhills um, combining that with a lot of i did the, I did all my build up in the u k for Tarawera, and um i use i cross train a lot um you can only run a certain amount of mileage for me doesn't really doesn't matter so much as the hours um, you can only run a certain amount of hours uh on, on your body in order to maintain consistent training. And actually in the UK, I don't, I don't want to be putting any more than like 230, 240K in my legs week in, week out um, because you then just can't get the quality of training and you're just so much more susceptible to picking up little injuries and little niggles. And so I, I ride a lot. So we'll probably be doing, yeah, 220K of running a week with eight to 10 hours of biking um, in the week two gym sessions sort of predominantly focusing on uh on like balance movement control um and core stability um and yeah and still like once a week probably on like on the saturday would do a an actual a proper marathon a marathon session so it'd be like a marathon pace tempo either in one block so we go up to 20 miles at marathon pace and running those in like three somewhere between like 308 and 310 per k for 20 miles um on not on not on trail but onto like a tarmac path um which all all pretty good and just like getting used to running in a sustained effort or doing like uh just over 30 minutes uh, at marathon pace and then 18 minutes at half marathon pace and then eight minutes at 10k pace of just to try and get the legs turning over and get your body sort of being able to work harder and hit a new zone at, at different stages and basically just control your body the way that you want to because in a race you don't know what's going to happen you might need to push at some points so you might need to back off and to be able to be restrained with your training um is yeah is really good and yeah, New Zealand New Zealand definitely went to plan. I flew out a couple of weeks before or three weeks before and got to run bits of the course and got to carry on my training out there, um, which all went really well and sort of just getting used to used to the conditions, used to the trails, used to the heat, um and get over the get over the jet lag. Um and yeah, that went well and took a little bit of time off after the race, uh, just to sort of let my body get back into swing of things and I went to actually on the Gold Coast for a week uh, with my girlfriend who was there with British Triathlon and did a little bit of running with them, but predominantly just on the bike, just getting the legs spinning over just to make sure there was no uh, extra tightness. Uh, They're obviously going to be sore after a race like that, but making sure that nothing was nothing was hanging around for any longer than it should have done. And so, yeah, to so then get back to the UK and as sort of volume started, a, volume sort of is only starting to really pick up now after this race, but it was, Yes, of up to like 135k with three sessions a week, sort of two specific uh grass cross country sessions in spikes. Um, and they were uh five by a mile with a 60 second hill rep after each rep, uh eight by one K picking up in the last two hundreds, um, and I was doing those in like just over started it first rep was at like 302 and the last rep was at 252 uh on grass and after doing that session i sort of knew that i was in knew that i was in pretty good shape for for this cross country race but actually being able to being able to do that after only three sessions um yeah i was pretty happy with um and yeah now just sort of getting slightly sort of slightly choosing i've got i've got an a plan and a b plan for races depending on the state of world health um yeah. over the coming over the coming weeks and months and they're both they're both pretty different races um one's a one's a sort of trail mountain race 70k um and the other is the british 100k champs um and they're uh, training for it for the first couple of weeks is pretty similar it's just building up building up volume so building up a bit of robustness getting back in the gym um making sure that my body's ready to tolerate some more specific training and then if i go down the 100k route it will be sort of more like time on feet to pace runs um is, is
1: target... that a track or road or a road
2: trail. that be that be road um and because it's the, it's the 100k world champs this year so and there's a target pace for that is like 343 per k so six minute just over six minute miling for six hours yeah um wow. world World record is six oh nine, and I don't think I'll be in a place to go for that quite yet. But for the for the World Championships in September, if I decide to go down that route, that would definitely be something that I'll be targeting. But yeah, we're sort of targeting six twelve to six thirteen uh, for 100k at the moment, um, which would be pretty cool. um Which yeah, um, I, can, I can do. I can do all that training in the UK, so you haven't got to worry about going on a training camp. Um, and sort of risk risk getting ill um or yeah or this trail mountain race um transvolcania in the canary islands that yeah it's a big big climb up and then about four hours at altitude and then a long descent so both very different races take about the same time um or well, the trail one's a little bit a little bit slower so it takes it takes a bit longer um but yeah it should be there are lots of options there and Sort of training and going approaching training in the same way that i have for all my other races just really specific um and don't be yeah i'm not as a trail runner sort of a lot of people are frightened at sort of doing a bit a bit sort of less volume but more quality and actually for me it's it's not being frightened and not shying away from from the hard work and mixing it up with either guys on the road or on the track or cross country because actually yeah you may not have your best day but you're going to get a a serious workout and a seriously good session that actually when when things get tough in a trail race that you're going to be able to to dig on and to rely on to to pull you through um both mentally and physically.
1: Yeah, sure. No, thank you so much for sharing so many specifics there. There's a lot to take away. And like like you said earlier, running is running and I guess all of that variety is just going to play into your hands when you're faced with different situations in a race. Um, So one thing that I want to ask you about, uh, we've already spoken about your in-race nutrition, but I'm just wondering, during these massive training blocks, there's obviously a lot of strain on your body. Um, Do you involve a nutritionist in planning your diet and how strict are you with what you're eating? Um,
2: Yes, I do. I do have a nutritionist. um, And how strict am I? in certain phases yes I am strict um and like in and around big training sessions I will be strict but just for the sheer amount of volume you're running like you need to recover um and if I I I am my training is all about consistency and being able to put session on session and block on block and year on year and if you're not eating enough if you're not eating the right things then I think it can, yeah, it is really detrimental, and that's sort of typically when you'll find that people get people get injured, people get niggles, and they're out for not just a couple of days but a couple of weeks that quickly turns into a couple of months and so yeah, I think you do have to be you do have to be strict like I do think there is such thing as race weight, but I think a lot of people think that race weight's a lot lighter than it actually is, and it's much better to be especially in the winter in the u k like it's much better to be healthy and in training, maybe a little bit heavier. Um, but actually you 're fueled correctly and you 've got enough fuel for for the runs um rather than sort of being super lean all year round and struggling and getting little illnesses here there and everywhere and yeah, so i think yeah i am i am I am pretty strict but also i'm flexible enough that if yeah if, if you need to eat a bit more eat a bit more and actually if if you are traveling if you're on a training camp then you've got to be prepared to prepared to just eat even if yeah even if it's not the best even if it's not the best possible food you can get like I'd rather eat something that's not ideal than eat nothing at all
1: yeah of course I can imagine that would have been the situation in Ethiopia and yeah exactly. other and places you have to you've you
2: yeah Yeah. precisely i think you just and like that's there again like that's just problem solving it's like right well i've got this session to do here and i need still need to recover from that session i've then got to go to the gym later and it's just thinking like right what works what works where and if you are training if you've got an eight hour training day like you're going to be in a calorie deficit and eating enough calories just isn't going to happen so it's like right well how do we how do we counter that how do we how do we go about this business to to make sure we do it as as safely and as sensibly as we can that still allows us to get the best out of training today but then also the best out of training tomorrow and in the days after
1: mm, yeah for sure so tom your military background i want to dig into that a little bit more what are the main things that you took away from the army that's really helped you help to propel you on your ultra running trajectory
2: yeah so I think I think two things really I think you literally I think you can split it down the middle so both physical and mental so I think physically just giving me this great base level this great base layer of training that has has yeah pretty made me pretty robust um and it's just given me this great foundation that I can now just do really specific training um and my body be able to to handle the volume and to handle the workload and yeah, to be able to, to be able to sort of continue to improve on it. So I think that's firstly, firstly that thing. And then mentally, I think, yeah, a couple of, couple of different things. Firstly, really being, pretty being a little bit too stubborn and just thinking like, right, well, I can do this. I can keep going. There is no, there is no option to sort of stop and sit down and to turn around because the jobs, the jobs got to be done. Um, And that's like during racing and training. But then I think also just mental strength and resilience and like believing, believing in yourself and like believing in myself that I am capable of doing, setting the goals and then achieving the goals that, that I am. And with that, like, I know that I will plan meticulously, almost like a a military operation. Like I will plan with so much detail and leave no stone unturned in order to get the best possible result for myself and for my team around me and I think that's I think that's really important and then yeah pretty finally that is within the military there are a lot of specialists who do their own job and there's not one person who who can do everything and sometimes it takes a takes a big man to sort of say like right I, I don't know that answer like I may not be the best person to to do that for myself and actually going out and not being afraid to, to ask for help, whether it's with psychology or it's with nutrition or it's with your training, Like actually going out and, and asking someone to help. And I think in, yeah, in this sort of modern day, like people say it and people say it so easily, but actually asking for help is, is sometimes quite a hard thing to do. And actually, if you want to get everything out of your body and perform as well as you possibly can, everything's got to be in sync. And, you've got to be prepared to ask for help um to yeah allow you to perform it at your peak
1: mm, yeah for sure and at, at what point did you decide that you wanted to get more help with this and enlist a coach
2: um so i got a coach pretty much straight after straight after marathon de Saab, um a lady based in brighton called Alison benton um she has been yeah she's been my coach ever since um and yeah, she's she's brilliant. She was a an Irish international athlete when she was younger and had sort of a couple of injuries and has a really combined um her love of running her passion of running with her intellect and has yeah, has coached sort of from a couple of fast guys from over 1500, sort of over fifteen hundred sort to the ex European twenty four hour champ um so a real a real mixture i'm her first sort of trail runner um and but yeah she's and i call and training works like let's let's try this and if if things work things work if they don't they don't and like we're we're so we're so open and honest with each other now like if if we think something's working then great and we'll say it and if we think something's not working then we'll say it as well like i think it's so it's so important to be to be open and honest and to not to not hide things because actually you you literally just want the best you want the best for each other and for her like what does success look like for her it's sort of getting me in the best possible shape to to be able to achieve what I want to achieve and if you're not being honest and if you're not doing sessions or you're doing things too hard or too easy than you should do then it can be really difficult and I'm now i yeah I'm now based at Loughborough University and I've got some amazing training partners. Um from Kev seawood who's just run the Irish national record for the Marathon in two ten ten, to Andy Butchart, um, to Alex yee with triathlon and so a whole sort of of international athletes and having those training partners that you can sort of jump in and out of their training and then they'll do they'll then do the same with you. Um I think is is huge and having training partners and I was fortunate enough for my first couple of years with the AB Group when I was sort of based based in Sussex, is is to train with the AB Group in Brighton. And having having training partners is is so important. I think for anyone sort of looking to looking to improve, like yes, you can do it on your own, but actually with a group with some training partners, it just makes it makes everything so much more attainable. It makes everything feel so much easier, Um and it's then yeah much easier to achieve what you want to achieve if you're on a journey with with a group of people
1: yeah no it's excellent that you've managed to build such a solid team around you who can help you through everything so i've just got a couple more questions before we finish up um so ultras are you know renowned for taking people to very tough dark places hallucinations breakdown mental strain for hours and hours um, but this also is quite similar to the military selection process and training camps in some way. Uh, could you tell us about the toughest place that you've pushed yourself to, either mentally or physically or probably both, and when you found it most difficult to continue?
2: Um. So... Probably in probably in CCC in 2018 uh, they ended up winning, but it wasn't always it wasn't always as straightforward. Um, just before halfway, I I got really sick. I don't know whether it was nerves or or whatever, but I was throwing up, so sort of couldn't keep any food or any water down, and sort of left just feeling completely drained and and super dehydrated. Got into the checkpoint and very thought that I was going to pull out pull myself out and some sort of my team who was there including so my coach and my crew were like no come on you know you've got this um just get, get to the next checkpoint and and then if you if you want to if you want to stop you can we'll let you stop there but we're not letting you stop here and being super but they're bit super positive about it and um I sort of pulled myself together um hadn't planned on having a having a kind of red bull at that point but did and I think sort of just the sugar and the caffeine, little folks and you're like, right, you've trained for four months for this race. Like stop being, stop being so pathetic and feeling sorry for yourself. Like pull yourself together and sort of managed to slowly keep some food and water down and just started to feel better and better throughout the race and got to the final climb of the race and I was in second place. And the winner, the guy who was winning the race, uh, Ming Qi for a Chinese athlete was uh, somewhere between you get told all sorts of things on the trail. Some will say he's five minutes ahead. Other people say he's two minutes ahead. So you've got real, yeah. no real idea. But we got to the bottom of the final climb and I'd run the final climb a couple of times and I'd run the whole thing was without, without hiking at all in training before. So I was like, right. Well, if I did it in training, like, there's no reason why I can't do it now. Like, yes, I've run 85 K through my legs, but I think I can still, I should still be able to do it. Um, so yeah, physically that was, that was really tough uh just pushing myself knowing that actually I, I you don't know how hard, how far ahead he is. Um and then finally sort of saw him through the trees, uh near the top of the first, near the top of the final climb. Um and at that point it just made sort of everything sort of yeah it got sort of pretty emotional about it. Like, yeah, you've still got another 10k racing to go, but you've now put yourself in the position that you can go on to win this race. Um had you pulled out when it got tough, then you'd never know um and yes yeah, sort we of passed him just before we got to the top of the final climb and knowing then after sort of doing the speed work that i'd done and being able to sort of push myself hard in these sort of k rep sessions and these 10k pace sessions knew that on a non-technical downhill which we had that i had a very yeah I had a very very good chance and sort of just kept pushing and pushing and yeah as with the trail race like you can you can trip up at the last hurdle and you can have a fall and go over on your ankle and have to walk the rest of it. It will take you another two hours um, slower than you would have been. So yeah, you're really not at the end to at the end and yeah, finish the race and sort of looking back on it sort of in the couple of days afterwards at those sort of lowest points actually allowed me to perform, perform my best and it was sort of just believing the points when I maybe didn't believe in myself, but the people around me did believe in me and I think that's yeah, it's so important to remember that a lot of people are rooting for you, um, and yeah, I think it's yeah, it's really valuable to learn that to, to be able to be like actually at times things won't be going your way, but you can you can change it and make things make things work your way, um, and yeah, it's not it's not impossible to turn around from a bad put a make a bad performance into a good performance. Um, so yeah, I think that that would probably be it
1: yeah amazing no i think one of the most amazing things about the ultras is the way that the the athletes have such fluctuations in the way they're performing and you can be so low and bonking and then have a second wind come through and everything changes you know that and that story just illustrates it perfectly Yeah,
2: 100 percent. yeah the race the race isn't over to the race is over
1: yeah and so tom what is it that drives you in those toughest moments? I mean, you mentioned your team, well, the team support crew that yeah. egged you on to yeah, so get I, through, but intrinsically. Yeah so, I think,
2: yeah, so I think it's, yeah, a mix of internal and external. Like, I think when I'm, think in a race, like, right, this is, so like, firstly think about probably the the outcome like what I want to achieve like knowing that actually if I keep working super hard then it's possible to finish on the podium or to win a race or to run a certain time um but then I also think about all of the hard work that I have already put in to put myself in this position it's those it's those early mornings it's those late nights it's those hard sessions when it's windy it's raining you don't want to go outside and train but you push through So like you almost owe it to yourself to to keep going and to keep working as hard as you can because yeah, if you don't, you're just doing a doing a disservice yourself and you're gonna have to you have to look at yourself in the mirror that night or afterwards and be like, right, well I didn't give it everything, like I'd done all that preparation, but actually it sort of crumbled to mental pressure on the day. And I think that's where like mental strength really comes into it, that you've got to be able to you've got to be able to pull yourself through through these bad patches. And if you can do that on your own, that's brilliant. But actually if you need to that's like the prime example of actually if you need help, then go and ask someone for it because it may be something, something really simple to, to put into place. Um, but yeah,
1: yeah pretty good. okay, great. So my final questions are what, what's on the horizon for you now? I know you spoke about those two upcoming races and a big project next year with Red Bull, but where do you see yourself going long-term with this?
2: Yeah, so so long term, I think there's there are some there's some big races that and very famous races that I'd like to I'd like to do and I like to do very well in sort of be that hard Rock 100 or on the roads like comrades, um, but also I want to sh- I, I for me I want to show people that you haven't got a pigeon on yourself. Like I'd love to run. Definite goal is to run um, the marathon in the Commonwealth Games um, in 2022.
1: Um, Where is that happening? Sorry, no.
2: uh, in in Birmingham u k oh, yeah. so home yeah. games cool um so yeah that's that's definitely a goal and as as of twenty twenty one uh trail running becomes a it's the that uh yeah sorry as of twenty twenty one trail running world championships becomes an IAAF event so it becomes a ma- on on paper it becomes a major championships which I think it shows firstly shows the development of the sport, but then also second, I think it'll show the development of the athletes who people start racing in the race. Um, which I think will be really exciting. So yeah, definite to see yeah, which would be interesting to see where the sport where the sport goes from there and what opportunities and what threats that, that starts to pose to the sport. Um but yeah, it's it's really yeah, the sport is growing so quickly, it's so hard to know to know what's around the corner and I think as the sport does start to grow um, and one thing that we that we haven't touched on at all is anti-doping in sport Um, and it's it's that's the one thing that I it was the one thing that I struggle with 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 trail running and part of me is like actually I'd rather run on the road Um, that is there is more testing because in trail running at the moment because it's not a recognized sport and there's not an infinite amount of money for anti-doping there are only some races that do in competition testing, um, and there is there is zero out of competition testing uh, for elite athletes and trail running, which I don't know how you can have a sport, a professional sport where where that's the case. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see where the sport goes in the next couple of years, and I think to just being able to think on my feet and be proactive and yeah, see see what happens and just keep training as hard as I possibly can and doors will open doors will shut um and just to uh, keep trying to perform perform my best where i can and i think yeah where i am lucky and with the training that i'm doing allowing me to race european cross-country championships and 100 mile races within four months of each other um yeah there's there's always going to be there's always going to be an option to to do some really exciting cool races that that i want to do
1: yeah sure well we are looking forward to watching you grow along with the sport um can you tell us where can our listeners follow along on your adventures
2: yeah so uh best places are probably on instagram um tom evans ultra uh, and also just starting up a new youtube channel um which is also tom evans
1: ultra on youtube excellent looking forward to checking those out do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners
2: uh two bits of parting like my two mantras uh that i use first one process not outcome focus on the process don't set your goals but then actually work back from that And it's like right worry about the process worry about run on run rather than the complete end state um and then secondly sort of just for to in order to perform your best at a race um is you need to create an environment. Where success is inevitable, and so just do yeah. Do how do you how do you force success? Um, what environment do you need to create, and that's sort of kind of thing that I've tried to create around me, sort of with with a team, sort of with my physios, with my nutritionists, with my training. How do I make yeah? How do you make success inevitable? Um, and yeah, those are my two two Tom's two top tips.
1: Excellent. Well, Tom's two top tips have come out very well, given that I put you on the spot, but I'm sure. Oh. There's been so much wisdom coming out throughout the entire episode. And, um, yeah, I just really want to thank you so much for sharing your time, all these adventures you've been on and everything you've learned along the way. Uh, And, yeah, thanks for taking time out of your busy training schedule to sit down and tell us all about it.
2: No, not at all. Thanks very much for having me.